Hi everyone, I'm Jennifer, the host of Ikigai with Jennifer Shinkai, where we're going to talk about the Japanese concept of Ikigai or living a life of purpose. Here you're going to hear inspirational stories from all different types of people who are finding their own life of purpose. You're going to hear about how they found their Ikigai and what they do every day to live an integrated life. So without further ado, let's dive right in. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome from wherever you are listening to Ikigai with Jennifer Shinkai in the world. I'm here in Tokyo, and with me is my wonderful guest, Sarah Lou. She's in Australia today, right? Yes, yes. I am. Sydney, and Australia. Sydney, Australia. And uh, Sarah is the founder and managing director of the Dream Collective. She's an amazing, inspiring leader working to empower women across the world, just next generation leadership, diversity and inclusion, and the future of work. And I worked with Sarah when she, the Dream Collective very first came to Japan. And every interaction was always a joy, was always could see how the participants really engaged with you. And your passion is just infectious. And it's been very sad that you haven't been able to come to Japan for a year. But I've been uh, following the, the new branding book, which is coming out and it's going to be launched and some of the initiatives that you did through COVID around She Pivots. Um, when Sarah and I were talking before we, uh, the interview started, we said, OK, what about life outside work? And uh, we, we may find that there's not much time for other things, but this is uh, one way to live your ikigai. So welcome, Sarah. Thank you. Thank you so much for, for having me, Jennifer. And the same absolutely goes to you as well. Like every interaction, you know, with you has been a joy. Um, and, and yeah, so glad that we get to have this conversation today. Yes, great. So let's dive right in. And um, if you could put it in a in a one word or one sentence, what's your ikigai? Why are you here? It's true influence. And I think that might sound, when we talk about sort of ikigai and sort of like the sense of purpose and our work, I think sometimes people actually tend to, I think sometimes make it larger than it has, has to be, make it too conceptual. And I think that's when some people really struggle with the concept. But I think, you know, um, if you think about what is the impact that you want to have, it can be as simple as what you want to achieve, you know? So for me, my ikigai is to influence and it's to influence the people I care about is to influence around the agenda I care about. You know, what that looks like may be different, but I feel I'm put on this earth to actually um, live a life of influence. I want to have a footprint. Uh, and by influence, I mean that I want people to, who have interacted with Sarah Liu to go that, hey, I was influenced by something that she said or a mindset that she had. So I think the core thing around influence uh, is really fundamental. Right. So to be thinking, what do I leave behind? Yes. And how, how has your interaction with people left a mark? So I think sometimes, once again, like the legacy part, when we talk about things like that, I've often felt that people felt then it has to be really large. It right. felt that, oh my God, I do have an impact that's like 25 years and beyond. What is the legacy I bring? But I will probably just try and simplify it and go, just think about how um, people would 
be different after their interaction with you? Mm. Would they be the same or would they be different? And that's actually probably as simple as it gets. It's about the influence and impact you have. And it doesn't necessarily have to be transformational. Even planting a seed of something that's a different thought, that could be an impact. So I just want everybody who has interacted with me to feel that, hey, like I was influenced by Sarah in certain ways. And I think it just can be as simple as that. Wonderful. And and your influence, you know, the, the, the area where you're really, you know, hanging, hanging your hat is um, in the area of women's leadership and next generation leadership across the world. Um, so how did that come about? You know, there's many ways that you could influence. You could be an Instagram influencer sharing photos of your lunch, but uh, that's not what you've chosen to do. So exactly. why this topic? So uh, I actually come from a background, a corporate background of marketing and branding. And I, you know, used to work at, you know, global cosmetic companies because I specialize in um, sort of consumer beauty marketing. And I was actually having a really great time sort of, you know, climbing the corporate ladder. But the more sort of, the, the faster I wanted to accelerate my career, the more I felt that um, sort of structurally and systematically, there's a lot of barriers that exist for women who want to advance in the workplace. And so, you know, I sort of was confronted by this lack of development opportunities um, for women, particularly in that sort of mid-career level. I felt that the market is tend to be quite saturated with that senior executive sort of leadership for highly senior women, but simply when to equip the pipeline, right? So if we want to actually um, see change and do that at volume at a scale, we need to be looking at that sort of mid-emerging uh, female talent pipeline. And that's when I took it upon myself because I was looking for development opportunities for myself. So I was solving a problem for myself first. Ah, okay. And I didn't find anything in the market that really resonated with my need. And so I thought, you know what, why don't I create something? So the Dream Collective actually started as a bit of a side hustle, a passion project yes. that existed in the corner of my living room, you know, um, and started organizing seminars and conferences and sort of started rallying people. And then a lot of opportunities sort of came my way to actually make it bigger. And that's when I thought, you know what, um, let me give it a year, right, to see what I can make out of it. Because mm. I know I can always go back to my corporate career, though it was a struggle because I didn't like, you know, it's not like I started my business because I was hating life. You know, I was actually, you know, making great progress. So then I thought to myself, okay, I'll time box it, give myself a year, see what happens. And so I resigned from my job, started on the Dream Collective full-time. You know, after a year, we grew like 386%. Um, and that, the rest, Sort of history in the sense that you know within a few years few short years we've been able to really scale it globally now um, with footprint um, with sort of you know operations in four different cities but also footprint across 18 different cities across the world you know a multi-million dollar business um, with a really thriving and growing team so it all started with a passion project nice. you know, so I think for me my journey has actually been a manifestation of like an ikigai when you combine all the elements together you know you actually um the commercialization you know success will come if you can actually find um sort of your purpose right and, and you mentioned when we were speaking before we started to record that you feel like yeah i've 
I'm doing this thing which I love and I haven't worked a day in my life. Yeah, yes. exactly. So I feel that um, I think it's a really interesting thing when we talk about Ikigai, people talk about passion. And the What I tend to hear a lot is that people tend to see it as a dichotomy. You know, the Ikigai, the passion, purpose, they exist outside of making profit, uh, commercialization, you know, they always go, oh, I've got bills to pay, so I can't work on my passion, as mm. if though they are two opposing thoughts, right? And I think my challenge around sort of Ikigai is actually how do we bring all that together? Because when you can actually, when you thrive on what you do, you bring uh, creativity, innovation, and then you create value. And guess what? There's value attached to something of value so <laughs> can actually commercialize so yeah. i think it's almost just opening up that mindset of possibility and redefining what passion purpose and what ikigai looks like to you and they don't need to be opposing thought it doesn't need to exist in vacuum and they don't have to be mutually exclusive right i'd, I'd like to go uh back a little bit to that step where you put that that timestamp and said, okay, I'm gonna give it a year. What was, you know, the, the the moment or the thought process that took you to the I I can't I can't keep this as a side hustle anymore? Mm, 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 great question. Um, I think one is like borderlining of burnout. Right. So I was working two jobs um, because this was growing and I want to maximize every opportunity. So I literally probably slept only for about like three, four hours a day for about two years. Right. Right. Because I was wanting to like do it all. Um, and so it borderlining I sort of burnout. I wasn't quite burnt out yet, but I was feeling like, oh, you know, like I don't know how much longer I can, you know, um, take this. And also when I started to feel like I wasn't, being 100% at either of those things. Right. And I think that's really key because that starts to defeat the purpose for me because mm. I want to bring my best. I want to yes. be at the best. And if you feel neither of those things are bringing the best out of you or you are giving it your best, then I think you really need to rethink how do you reprioritize it. Mm. Yeah, there's a Japanese phrase, which is a chito hampa, which is like, ah. kind of, I get a like, half-assed I suppose is the, yeah, the best yeah. translation and when you yeah so you were feeling in your corporate role well I'm not really at the level that I was at in terms of performance and commitment and then yeah. in the dream collective also as there's things which I can't do so something had to give yeah and I yeah. really like um because because it resonated because I felt very much the same when I left my corporate job as well and just for anyone who's listening Following your Ikigai does not mean that you have to leave your corporate job and become an entrepreneur. Please listen to episode one with Zane Zambalan, who spent 25 years at IBM and lives a very integrated Ikigai-filled life. Yeah. But on that, when I, I felt corporate will always be there. Mm. Let me give this a go now. Mm. And then I won't regret that I didn't try it. Mm. Mm. And... Yeah, I, I can get a corporate job again in the future, mm. but I just, I need to do this now because it's yeah. so, it became, it was very clear for me that this was the path. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. And I think you're absolutely right in that a lot of times it's actually giving it a go and exploration. So I often hear also people who talk about Ikigai going, oh, um, yeah, I don't know what it is. I can't find it. I actually think the more you try to find it, the more you're not going to get it mm. in a sense that it's almost like losing your keys if i misplace my keys the harder i try to find it it won't surface and like maybe like finding a partner as well i hear people go oh i need to find a partner and they don't find a partner <laughs> I think it's actually, <laughs> putting yourself out there it's about putting yourself in places of opportunities where that could happen mm. so it's actually about I, I didn't know at that point if it was, I was so it's not like I was so clear this is my key guy so I'm like gonna go for a hundred percent it actually wasn't right and so I think it's actually taking a more of a fluid approach and a more relaxed approach mm. to ikigai right. it's not that this is one thing and also I think ikigai can evolve as well right yes. there are seasonalities in your life that you need to sort of respect understand and be 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 and respond to so I think your ikigai can evolve and give yourself flexibility to respond to that um and yeah see that as an exploration not a destination because once again people often go oh ikigai is, is that that destination no like right now this is my ikigai right and this is the how it translates to my work-life integration but that could change and so i think so much of these conversations is about getting people to go hey i'm gonna explore i'm gonna i don't know if it's right or wrong but I'm just going to put myself out there saying yes to opportunities. Stop trying so hard to find your purpose because in fact, those people never tend to find it. It's actually people who are open to things, who explore, who discover, and who sometimes can um, start to eliminate things, right? Yes. Know what's not for them. Mm. And then that's when I think you start to see alignment in, in what you're looking for. That's very interesting. So you had so many interesting points there and I couldn't take notes fast enough and be engaged and present. So I can't wait to uh, to, to go back and, and, and listen to this. But um, I love this idea of eliminating, mm. like knowing what doesn't work for you. I think that came up in, in Zane's interview as well as Robin, um, that this, this is not for me, like to mm. try to explore, to experiment and then go, all right, move that on. Mm. Um, I love your point about when you're trying so hard to discover it, like when you're looking for a life partner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, maybe your ikigai can smell your desperation. It's like, yeah, not, not now. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of yeah. <laughs> coming on. Yeah. And, and I wanted to um, dig down a little bit more into this idea of how your ikigai can evolve, because I think that is so powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, this idea that I have one purpose in my life and one reason for being here. But as you said, like this, this seasonality changes. Diff- you have different experiences, maybe different life stages, or you just read an article about something and mm. discover a problem. Um, mm. So the episode two guest, Robin Lewis from My Mizu, you know, he was walking along the beach and, and saw all these plastic bottles and was like, this is, no, someone has to do something about it. Oh, hang on, that's me. Yeah. Um, but tell me a little bit about how your ikigai has evolved, Sarah. Mm. Um, I think my ikigai, in fact, hasn't the core of it hasn't actually evolved, uh, evolved all that much. But the the manifestation, how that mm. translates, has evolved. So my ikigai being, you know, um, creating 
impact and influence, particularly through the female leadership, gender equality and diversity and inclusion space. That so far hasn't changed since I started the Dream Collective, but how it translates how it manifested in today's world has evolved because the people's the society's need has has evolved mm. the maturity of the market has evolved right and the circumstances under which we live in has evolved and also people need to evolve i've evolved so my understanding of the world and my maturity has evolved my skill set has evolved so in fact i would say that if there's no evolution to you you got to actually question yourself what does that actually mean? Because that's not necessarily a good thing. So I think we need to actually differentiate consistency, having that consistent belief and that core belief, like that hasn't changed for me, right? Mm. But the method has to change, has to evolve. So don't, once again, it's not like, it's not a fixed destination. It's actually a journey, right? It's about translating your Kigai uh, and how it looks like you know, through different pathway of your life. So for example, you know, um, something that, so previously before um, with, you know, the Dream Collective, we were very much focused around, you know, training, we started with training around actually sort of women, right? Like female leadership capability. We then evolved that into actually working directly, specifically with men, actually creating male allies, right? Because, we need to actually so because we people are now aware that we need to stop fixing women. Fixing women, yeah. <laughs> you know that there are systemic issues, and that we then you know so maturity needs and our own comprehension of that has evolved, and our um, ability to work with men has evolved. So and then that sort of continues to evolve. So the core belief doesn't have to change, but I think the translation needs to. Mm, right. So this, the focus has remained the same, but as you grow in experience and maturity and different awareness of uh, how it might look mm. you'll continue to experiment with those different things and the different yeah. methods because as yeah. well if you stay in the stasis of I'm thinking you know sometimes in ikigai uh, literature there's a lot of talk about artisans striving for perfection mm. and one way is to you know do the same thing repeatedly consistently again and again till we make you know the perfect sushi or the perfect uh t-bowl uh, but maybe it's also in the in the case of of your work you're going actually what what we thought we thought we needed a t-bowl mm. but maybe we need a hammer i don't know yeah. you know like the, the the method the method changes as well so it's sort of exploring exploring those yeah. two yeah. um i wanted to talk a little bit about one of the evolutions that happened uh, last year uh, around covid which obviously mm. has impacted women in the workplace to a ridiculous degree. And I'm sure you have uh, the, the data to hand much more, but anecdotally, I've definitely seen that with my clients, with my friends, especially in countries like the UK and the US. And I think Australia's had quite a lot of homeschooling, so has yeah. impacted in that yeah. way. Um, yeah, so, so if you could talk a little bit about the, the she pivots, which I see as an evolution of yes. how you're expressing your ikigai in the world. I'd love to uh, share that with the listeners as yeah. well. 
So when COVID first hit um, around, so, you know, like a March and just start to have its impact swift across the world, um, we as a business really sort of step back and look at, okay, what, what is happening and, you know, what do clients want from us right now? Because our business initially also has been impacted as well. In the first two or three months, nobody was wanting to do sort of anything. Everyone's yes. in sort of <laughs> I remember, I remember well. Exactly. So things too, almost like the, the world, like BAU got put on hold a little bit. And so that's also at the same time when we realized and noticed the disproportionate impact it has on women. So women were losing jobs across the board at a higher and faster rate than men, predominantly because when they tend to engage in casual contract part-time work, you know, um, three times higher than men. So the, they are usually the first one to go. And also the industry in which women participate heavily in were the industries that are more most heavily impacted, the hospitality, you know, the tourism, you know, you know, um, service, retail, etc. So we then stepped back and went back to our Ikigai, right? Our core mission purpose is to influence to create equal opportunities for women. So during this time, what do we need to do, right? And so going back to that by looking at, okay, we've got all these women actually on our database who are incredibly high caliber professional women who are looking for job opportunities. And we've got this whole lot of clients, particularly in the tech industry, mm. are actually desperate for talent. And they're willing to actually reskill people because a lot of times, I think particularly women feel that we can't get into the tech industry because of there's no prior experience and knowledge. But in fact, we bring what we call the outsider advantage, which is actually diversity of thought and different experiences. And we are an ad. We're not a fit, but we are an ad. And that's what companies are looking for. So we look at our clients. Okay, they're looking for talent. And these women, they are looking for opportunities. So what can we do? We bring them together. And initially that was just a completely actually free offering as well for anyone who's sort of up for grabs. So we were just connecting, being that bridge. And that became completely sort of viral. Like within, I think the first like 10 days, we had like over like 3000 registrations yeah. already. Um, and then it sort of got scaled, you know, across different uh, markets as well. So for me, that's a direct translation of how Ikigai evolves right but you gotta go back to your core so it's not that we changed what we do the purpose we solve is still advancing women in the workplace yeah. right but we need to be so congruent um and cognizant of the world we live in and making sure that we are relevant because i also feel like your ikea needs to be relevant to a need in the world because that's what we put on this world for so it needs to be addressing a need i feel a lot of times like ikigai almost like a comp be selfish like rightly or wrongly mm. like that's my view i feel if you feel like you guys about me it's about okay like me like you know retiring not having to worry about like money having like my own individual financial freedom for example which i often hear people talk about my follow-up question would be okay how will the world be different that you now have financial freedom Right, so it's always thinking about what's my impact and influence to the world. Um, and I really feel that if you can create value, looking at a problem, solving that problem, all the rest will come, you know? And then now it has evolved into actually a, a commercial model for us. And it's actually now um, created a new opportunity for us to help companies engage in more of that employer branding side of things. So 
you know, once again, explore, discover, add value, the rest will come. Wonderful, wonderful. I love the point you make about the um, the financial the financial aspect and the financial freedom. There's been some research done in Japan around uh, with that role change, and I think I've talked about this on a on a previous episode. But um, that you know, if you retire early, if your ikigai is so focused on that destination as you talk or also about who you were as this captain of industry who was able to create this uh, personal wealth that allowed you it can actually be um, quite a vulnerable point yeah because who am I now Mm. who am I without my work and that's why sometimes you know and of course I'm talking to you uh, professional professional so we're going to be talking about work but ikigai is also not just tied up in what we do professionally but that's the the basis of our conversation today but you know I was talking to an entrepreneur the other day and she had asked herself this question who am I without my work Mm. and Mm. so as you say like what influence and impact do you have and of course you know the value that you bring through your endeavors is uh having positive hopefully having positive impact in the world but just as as your state of consciousness your reason for being here Mm. understanding like how you feel alive Mm. it's only in one role Mm. then Mm. if that role changes Mm. it's very easy to feel lost so they did stuff about you know kind of retirees and then uh, when people were no longer the leader of the family um, those things so I'm always encouraging people to to have many many ikigais like many reasons for being here so that you're not beholden to one role like just being a mother and I'm not saying just being a mother but if if just one thing being Mm. the mother or being the business professional or being the tennis player right like when you hear those stories of professional athletes who are injured Mm. yeah everything was about going for that medal and that's gone like how do you come back from that yeah I I often coach around more than one is fine yeah (laughs) oh I think you've actually hit the nail on the head because I think that's the dilemma that people sometimes get into as well, thinking that one, it needs to be fixed, permanent, and that is a destination, and that is that's singular, only one. I think for me as well, you know, yes, work um, is a big part of, you know, um, my 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 world because that's my vocation, right? Mm-hmm. So I actually don't feel that's my work. That's actually just my priority in life, right? It manifests in the form of work, right? But actually, that's my my purpose. But also, I think also like in terms of one thing that you know, my sister and my husband, like we have collectively goal as a couple in terms of our ikigai, is to actually uh, make a significant difference to the areas that we care about, right? So, for example, for him, it's actually like youth through sports because mm. he used to uh, play semi-professional basketball. And he recognizes how the important role that um, basketball can play. So I often, often actually talk about sort of my husband as that sort of corporate example of ikigai, where <laughs> like my work is my ikigai, but for him, um, he his world looks very different, right? So he, uh, you know, used to be a lawyer, transitioned to be a, you know, uh, investment banking now and sort of asset management, but as a DJ on the side, plays guitar, you know, basketball. Right. And um, so it actually looks very different. And you can actually find your ikigai sort of like outside of work as well. Mm. So 
But what, one thing that we sort of thought what we really want to achieve is that you know, our retirement goal is not just so we have financial freedom, is that um, we can continue even after retirement to give money away to other people. So it's actually not just about us, it's about how once again, we can impact the world. And so that then give meaning to what you're striving now, because what we are working and building now, suddenly it's not, okay, one day I get to that point, and then we're fine. It's actually how can we continue making an impact to the world? And so I actually also think to that point about that being multiple, it's also like it's an ongoing journey as well. So it's not a switch. It's not like people go, hey, after I retire or after I get to director, I will start to work on my ikigai. It's not a switch. You have to start now. So we've always wanted to actually, for example, like, you know, support like homeless and marginalized youth. And we've actually, in fact, started now already. We didn't wait until, you know, we got full financial freedom after retirement. You know, this year we actually helped a um, sort of a homeless uh, school, uh, school for homeless youth build a basketball court. Right. right? And so that is a beginning of a journey. So I think so much about the Ikigai is that it's not like a place that you need to get to and it's not a switch you need to make. It's actually incrementally you can start to do that as well. And the more and more you do it, once again, like the more learning and the more evolution comes and that's when you start to live a really full life. Wonderful. I love that you have couple goals as well. Your couple's mm-hmm. Ikigai goal and just, you know, starting small with something now and not having to wait until the whole situation is perfect. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah let's wait until like, yeah, the, when I get here, then I will be happy. Like it, it, it doesn't happen like that in life. And I'm sure exactly. you see with many of the participants through your, your programs that like, oh yeah, when I get to this level, um, then it's going to be, everything's going to be different for me. That's right. And that's actually such a myth, right? And so I think I really encourage like, not just sort of a couple goals, family goals, but even with team goals. So something that we do with our team, right? Is, you know, we very much, almost like a share our sort of company vision, but you know, um, how that aligns with their individual personal Mm. ikigai. And even with like our KPIs, we actually ask each of the team member to prepare a completely personal like a goal that they have personal goal it could be health fitness goals it could be regularly walking their dog have regular date nights whatever that might be and actually as a team we enable them to do that firstly we become aware of it as a team and then we enable that because i think more and more so we need to realize that it's an integration and as leaders i think um, people will resonate that when you notice someone who's not really performing well professionally at work it's usually more often than not something that's going wrong in their personal life and so it needs we need to be aware and we need to be okay with bringing them together and creating a culture where ikigai is top of mind for it's not this like hidden thing that i'm not like sharing with anyone but like secretly striving for it needs to be a conversation because that's when it becomes like that's when i think it's at its fullest and we can maximize the potential Yes, I love that. It's just so true, you know, to the freedom to be able to bring your whole self to work. And even if you try not to, it's still there. You yeah. know, if you, <laughs> I would come to work, I remember after like I'd been dropping off my kids at, at daycare and it had not been a smooth drop off. And I was like carrying all of that yeah. into the day. Yeah. And 
or if you know just I couldn't be a high performance because I knew that my kid was like 37.4 degree fever and I was more or less likely to get a phone call from daycare to <laughs> go and pick them up like all of those all of those things are are feeding in and then if you've had a bad day at work that's going to feed into your family life and your your private life too so I, I don't believe in work-life balance at all mm. um and I yeah well it's a phrase which drives me mad like and you'll never achieve it <laughs> so exactly yeah and also I think balance people are out of balance when they're not doing the things that they care about mm. that's actually the thing a lot of times I think like um work-life balance has been bundled up with this like nine to five concept as of though when we stop working nine to five we'll have work-life balance it's not right it's it's got nothing to do with each other yeah i think people live a balanced life when your day your year is proportionate to your priority and what you care about right (laughs) so that's actually the key so like i think the challenge here is what do you care about the most and do you spend most of your time doing what you care about right and when i think it's people when people are out of balance i don't care about this job that i'm in yet 80 percent of my waking hour that's what i do so i feel like oh i need to work less it's not we're solving the wrong problem you know the right problem to solve is what do you care about and how do you spend more time doing what you care about yes Oh, I love it. That was my hallelujah. Amen. Yeah. Big, you were very surprised by my big body language then. Yeah, no, no, I love yeah. It. yeah that's so key. I think people need to get it right because that's the first step to, I think, living a life, you know, yeah. um, aligned to your ikigai. Awesome. So we talked a lot about like, you know, they have the very positive and um, all the amazing things, but one of the challenges with uh, following, uh, uh, I love your, your use of the word vocation and this, this very strong commitment to the cause is when the pace of change is, in my original notes, I w- when there is no progress, um, I've changed to glacial, but then I think that maybe almost with COVID, there's been a backward step in many societies. Mm. So how, how are you keeping yourself, how do you keep yourself motivated with like, oh god are we, are we still talking about this are we still making the business case like come on people get with the program yeah, um, yeah. yeah. Like how, how do you manage absolutely um and i think that's when passion needs to translate to professionalism mm. i think there's an overemphasis on passion people go oh you need to work your passion and you know sarah you can really push on because you're passionate actually no i'm I can persevere and I'm consistent, not because I'm passionate, but because I am professional. Mm. Because there's this way that consistency, that that rigor, right? That sense of responsibility. So I can't remember, it was like Michael Jordan or someone who said that, um, you know, basketball, like there, there are times, that, of course I love basketball, but there are times that you wake up in the morning that you just don't want to play basketball, but you have to because that's what professionalism is about. So mm. professionalism is waking up, not wanting to do it, but do it anyway. And I think there are all, all times that we feel exhausted, demotivated, disengaged, just because by, and once again, a learning here is that people think by working in your passion, that means that's a silver bullet. You will never work another day in your life. Everything's sorted and like, you're fine. No, it's not. Right? <laughs> because passion, in fact, it can become your work and then, Everything that's so all the frustration that's associated with work will come, right? So the pace of change feels resistance and not 
giving you the kind of the input sometimes doesn't equate to the output. That's when I think professionalism comes in, right? You need to actually make smart ideas. Um, so um, make smart ideas and make smart decisions about even though this is my passion, does this still make sense? Is this giving me the kind of financial reward and the commercial reward and the actual impact reward? You know, is there ROI to what we're doing? Mm -hmm. Do we need to evolve the methodology? Just because I'm passionate about playing basketball this way, does that mean that my movement might like it needs to actually evolve? So it's actually passion gets you started. Professionalism gets you to the finishing line. So of course, the pace of change exhausts me, right? Mm -hmm. I think it's that professionalism. It's like, okay, when we have a problem to solve, how can how do we continuously come up with creative ways to help our clients solve it? How do we bridge that? Because passion alone won't help us influence anything. It's very individual. Mm. I think it's that professionalism when you can marry up your passion to skill set, to expertise, to building a team that can further your passion. That's when we'll actually start making a real impact. Wonderful. I love that. I love the rejection of passion as the be all and end all, because it's quite a strong narrative in society. So I, I really like the way that you've you phrased that. And it's the starting point, not yeah. the not the destination. Exactly. And also, um, I think the um, the the danger with uh, focusing this like overemphasis on passion is that sometimes passion can be somewhat irrational. Right. I'm super passionate about this um, because that's an emotional thing, right? So we need to actually anchor that in the day-to-day -day reality. The and pragmatism, yeah. Yeah, the, the first point is about like marrying it up together. It's not just having this like passion and isolation, just like going ahead with it. I've got you know a number of friends you know who, like, I don't know if this is like a new wave of like making candles or something, but like so many people are telling me that, hey, I'm passionate about like making candles, you know, etc. And I really want to sort of create a business in that. And we go, great. Why? They go, because that's my passion. I'm like, okay, great starting point, but have you considered sort of everything else? So based anchored in pragmatism, but also optimism. Because sometimes that's when you can become really jaded and go, oh, there's no way I can make a viable business based on like a $30, you know, um, candle. But actually there might be. So actually about bringing that together, it needs to be a holistic point of view, um, I, I suppose is, is the key takeout here. Wonderful. Thank you. And if you could have, well, you do now have this platform here to give advice or insights on, on people who are wondering, like, what's my next step? about about their ikigai about how i know you said uh, some some points already so um but anything anything else advice you would like to give people um i think the key takeout here is like one like break it down like simplify it it doesn't have to be this like a big grand moonshot goal if you have it that's great but start small start incremental maybe sometimes it's just about what's the next right step to take right um combine passion with uh pragmatic professionalism right because that's what's going to last you the distance and also i think have a think about um what do you really care about and is your time reflective of that? Mm. So I often sort of say to people that um, don't tell me what your priorities are. Um, show me your wallet and show me your calendar. I'll tell you what your priorities 
because that's actually the reality. Because mm-hmm. where you spend your money, where you spend your time, reflects your priority. So, and that's the thing where that's the out of balance comes in. So, if your ikigai is one thing and your daily routine reality looks like another, that's the first thing. A very practical thing I would encourage you to look at. Where do you spend your money? Where do you spend your time? Are they in line with what you care about? If not, then rethink. And that's even just a really practical next step to, to, to take. Wonderful. That reminds me of a coaching um, process, which is about the difference of motivation and effort. So mm-hmm. you think about something, there's a really important goal, really important goal that you have in your life and write it down and then give yourself a score of mm. how important, like what your motivation is level out of 10. Mm. If it's anything less than a seven, mm. you will not achieve it. Mm. If it's an eight, kind eight. of uh, on the on the edge as to whether you will. So you're looking for a nine or 10 as to level of how important that's kind of your motivation score. Yeah, that's such a great point um, because I think, and also I think another thought around that is understand the sacrifice that might come with it. Mm. What's the price to pay? Because a lot of people talk about ikigai, pursue positive grade, right? Realize what that means in terms of what you have to let go. Maybe not sacrifice, but what you have to let go, what you have to deprioritize, right? In order to achieve that ikigai. If we want to do everything, right? The pie is only this big, right? Yeah. Yes, yeah. we can expand the pie, but you need to then recalibrate so i think the thing is about prioritization and what you will let go because what you will not do determine what you can do yes i love that oh we have a bit of echo but the next point on the the motivation is to then go and this is to your calendar point go and write down all the things that you practically did in the last week that like laddered up on this goal Mm. and often i'll be this room and no one's pens are moving. Yeah. Some people are really like, really going for it. But look, yeah. like, actually, did I do anything? Did I spend any time on this? And then I ask people to give themselves a grade for effort. Mm. A, B, C, fail. Yeah. Um, and then the follow-up question is, uh, so what can you do to raise your grade by like half a point? Don't try to go from an F to an A in the next week. It's yeah. not going to happen. So how could you just pass? What would that yeah. look like in terms of action? Um, and I think that's, yeah, like go, go and look at that calendar and see what you really did. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. So if you've been listening to this and heard that, please go and do this with one of your activities. You should maybe stop after the motivation question. Too late now because I've already done it, but there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I've uh, given away the punchline, but it's a, it's a really fascinating when you get, this is really important to me. This is my passion. Mm. Oh, but I've just been thinking about this passion rather than actually doing something. Yeah even yeah. if it's starting small. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Sarah, I believe we may have come to the end of our time today. So do you have any final message you would like to share with the world on Ikigai with Jennifer Shinkai? Um, yeah, I think we've covered it all. But I think uh, the key thing really is to explore, um, discover, um, try to say yes to things. I know also there's a current sort of narrative about like having boundaries and like say no, how, when to say no. And notwithstanding that I think saying yes to opportunities saying yes to explorations and when you're not when you least expect it that's probably when you will actually find your ikigai 
Oh, I love that. Well, thank you so much for your time, your sharing, your passion and professionalism. And uh, we'll share all the information in the show notes of how people can find out more about you and the work that the Dream Collective does. So thank you so much for today. Thank you so much for having me, Jennifer. Thank you so much. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you so much for listening today. I really hope that you found something you could take away from the episode to help you find your own Ikigai and integrate it into your daily life. And I'd love to hear exactly what resonated with you. So pop over to see me on LinkedIn or on my Facebook page. You can find the links in the show notes below. And let me know what you thought was the most important takeaway from the podcast today. And sharing is caring. So feel free to share this episode with one of your friends who you think could benefit from hearing about living a life of purpose. Looking forward to see you on the next episode of Ikigai with Jennifer Shinkai.